Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Life is good. Ann and I have been friends for a really long time. Yep, we met right out of college in our first jobs as radio producers, and we had a lot of fun living it up in the big city. And then we grew up, got married, and stood up in each other's weddings. And we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you. And let's be honest, this year, there's no shortage of stuff to cover. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. Life is good. So apparently the cost of gas or a pound of bacon isn't the only thing going up these days. Gas is like over $4 a gallon here in Chicago. And I was just at the store and bacon, and it was $9 a pound. That's going to hit you hard. Not so much at my house, Tracy. (laughs) At my sister's house, it'll be even more impactful (laughs) because they love their bacon. But in all seriousness, something I heard on the radio in the car was even more mind-boggling. It was a business report, and it talked about the average cost of child care is outpacing inflation and exceeds the cost of in-state tuition fees. In-state college tuition fees. It was so compelling that when I was driving that when I got home, I Googled it and I found a bunch of stories to corroborate what the newscaster was talking about, that the annual price of childcare is more than the annual cost of in-state tuition at a public four-year university. So for measure, basically the average public in-state tuition ranges from anywhere from $9,702 in the South to $13,800. 78 in the Northeast. It's big money. Yeah. According to a new report from Child Care Aware, the growth in child care prices has exceeded the annual rate of inflation. The average annual cost of daycare for infants in 2020 was just more than 12300 That's up 1000 from 2019. And a Bureau of Labor Statistics Consumer Price Index Analysis shows since 1990, child care costs have risen 214% while the average family income has increased by only 143%. So, I mean, they're both going up, but childcare is far, far greater. And I don't remember, but did you take your kids to childcare or have a nanny? I, I remember using my mom or having a sitter here and there, but in fact, the price of childcare was actually the very reason that my husband and I decided that I was gonna stay home. You know, you remember, Anne, when we were producers at the radio station, you're not making a lot of money. So we just decided to make the financial decision that I would I would stay home because the money I was going to make anywhere was going to go right to that. So it was a net zero. It was it was just stupid. What have I forgot? What did what did you do with the girls? So I was teaching at Northwestern, so I was able to stack my schedule and have classes on two days and then do my, the rest of my work from home. Um, and first, we asked my mom to help out. But do you remember when we did the episode on grandparents taking care of children? Yes. <laughs> it didn't go well. It didn't yeah. go well for me. So we eventually used sort of a, a sitter service where I got to use the same young women who became kind of family members for us. Um, and they, and I'm, I'm still in touch with many of them, and they are now mothers. Um, but Ultimately, I broke even. You know, I made as much as I paid, but for me, it was worth it because I was on a career trajectory that needed to be sort of continued. Otherwise, I couldn't go back to it. Yeah, keep your foot foot in the door. So to speak. yeah, 
Yes. I'm, I'm dealing with that now myself, but <laughs> that's a, that's a whole different episode. Um, well, I just think it's kind of a vicious cycle really where childcare is expensive and, and it's hard work and childcare professionals don't get paid nearly what they're worth. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but their role in society is really priceless because they make the world go round. They're, they provide the service that allows parents to go to work. And yet families can only afford what they can afford if they're making minimum wage somewhere. How do they afford to to take their kids somewhere and have them looked after when they like, they can't afford to pay it? So it's it's a vicious cycle, really. Yep. A new report from Wells Fargo shows a shortage of daycare workers has left nearly half a million families without childcare. Wow. Many, yeah. So keeping many parents at home and hindering the labor market. So you know who's hit the hardest, Trace? Yeah, I can guess. Women. Yep. Mothers. Moms. Yeah, there were 1.7 million fewer women in the workforce in September 2021 compared to September 2019. And you know what they're calling this? A she session. That's awesome. I mean, it's sad, but it that's very clever. <laughs> I know. who Someone's clever, but it yeah. still stinks. <laughs> so to talk about the rising cost of childcare and what the heck anyone can do about it, I did some research and came upon... Uh, we're going to talk to Dr. Lynette Fraga. She's the CEO of an uh, organization called Child Care Aware, and she's a passionate practitioner, an advocate, and leader in the field of child care. She has more than 25 years of experience as an educator, a program director, and executive leader working on behalf of kids and families. Uh, she has lots of doctorates and things underneath <laughs> her name. I could go on and on. They're sitting, they're probably framed behind her desk, but um, we're very excited to have Dr. Fraga with us today. Thank you so much for joining us, Lynette. Thank you so much, Tracy and Anne. I really appreciate the opportunity to discuss childcare on your podcast. And obviously, um, given your um, commentary at the very outset of this um, podcast, I just really appreciate the... Um, passion that you're sharing and showing for the challenges that families and particularly women are experiencing. I love the idea that this podcast is being focused on sharing information um, also for absolutely average parents as we're all trying to um, navigate um, as a parent myself of, of two children um, navigate particularly this moment and parents with young children. So thank you for, for um, inviting me to be on with you today. We're glad to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Sure. So Child Care Aware of America is a national membership organization, and we work with state and local nonprofit organizations called Child Care Resource and Referral Agencies. And we also work with other community partners. And the intention of these organizations are to ensure that families have access to quality, affordable child care, each and every family. Uh, and we do that in several different ways. Um, one is uh, conducting research and collecting data on the state of child care and certainly advocating for child care policies that improve the lives of children and families. And we do this at the local, state, and national level. We're wanting to ensure, again, that each and every child has access to quality, affordable care. So let's go straight to that. What does quality child care look like? And what are the benefits we see when we have high quality programs? Yeah, that's such a great question. So when we talk about access to care, we always pair that with access and availability of quality care. 
The first and most important thing about quality care is the individual provider. Um, that individual, that adult is so super important to quality care. So that's the early childhood workforce, right? These are mostly women um, and disproportionately women of color who are providing care to children during the most important time in a child's growth and development, which is the first few years of life. We know that from the science of early childhood. So the quality is often tied to the individual providing care and the environments. Is it safe? Is it healthy? Is it supportive? Is it nurturing? Um, all of those things are, are critically important. And the impacts we see, we also see through the science. So we see better outcome. Consistently research demonstrates that children who attend high-quality programs have increased graduation rates from high school, they have higher incomes, and they have better physical health. So this really is about whole child experience and whole family experience. So not only is early um, learning programs really helpful for the economy, we talk about that in the context of um, families being able to work, but we have to equally talk about the fact that this is good for children and their growth and development. And I know that's what parents want for their children. Yep. That's what everybody wants. <laughs> um, so question, you know, the last two years have been mind-blowing. Uh, what did the pandemic do to the childcare industry? Because as I was preparing for today, I was thinking about the childcare professionals and how, you know, in the very beginning when everything shut down, it impacted the childcare facilities that had to stay open for essential workers. And I, I, mm -hmm. find, I found that interesting because just like with teachers and nurses, that category of, of professional, a, a, a childcare professional, seems like you didn't value it until you needed it, like until it was mm -hmm. like critical for you to be able to go to work. And you're not really thinking about that on a daily basis and a, and a pandemic hits and then you start to be like, oh, wow, they're, they're irreplaceable. Like they're so valuable. They're more or less essential workers, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, without a doubt. And I would say they're sheroes and heroes, right? I mean, at the end of the day, um, in order for, and we heard so many stories about this at the outset of the pandemic and, and through the first two years, as medical workers were trying to get to work, as emergency responders were trying to get to work, um, as grocery workers, and, you know, I mean, we talked about all of these essential workers who were caring for their children that the early care and education workforce, right? And so they absolutely navigated during a time, by the way, where we knew nothing, almost nothing about the pandemic, but they put their lives on the line in um, wanting to ensure that they played a role in caring for their communities. And what happened to them, back to your question about sort of what happened to the workforce in those first months, as many as possible tried to keep their doors open. And for so many others, it was impossible for a lot of reasons, whether it was their own health challenges or, um, or perhaps there was vulnerabilities in their homes or in their family circles. So they couldn't. What we saw was 16,000 child care programs permanently closed. Wow. 16,000. So if we think about prior to the pandemic, and I think this is super important to share. Prior to the pandemic, the childcare system was already fractured and near shatter. Mm -hmm. And 
after the pandemic and through this pandemic this last two years, we've really seen, unfortunately, the childcare system at a breaking point. A shell of what it was. A shell of what, I mean, and, and again, as we think about trying to improve on and re-envision the childcare system, we don't want to go back to what the childcare system looked like before. Because, in fact, those prices that we mentioned earlier were, um, that was true before the pandemic. The inaccessibility and affordability of childcare was true before the pandemic. Uh, and now we see thousands and thousands of childcare programs closing. We see the early childhood workforce, unfortunately, leaving the field because they're, they often receive um, poverty level wages. Frankly, the average price of um, that, uh, the average wage for an early care and education provider is between 11 and $12 an hour. You can go work at McDonald's. Wage. And that is unfortunately what is happening. We're seeing much of the workforce leaving early childhood because they can receive and they're competing with corporations and companies that pay more, and they have to take care of their own families. What was very ironic and continues to be very ironic is that as we think about it, the essential um, workers and the time through the pandemic and the fact that it literally took a pandemic for us to really raise up a focus on early care and education, to your point, Tracy, it's taken this moment where we really understand, oh, this is important, we need to pay attention that um, it's it's really ironic that our early care and education workforce often themselves do not have health care benefits. Mm. Um, and so we see this exacerbation of the challenges we saw before the pandemic. And then we see 16,000 child care programs from 2019 to, you know, 2021 close. Um, and um, this really creates a significant challenge for parents who are trying to get back to work, and to your point of earlier, women in the workforce who are trying to figure it out. Um, and this is just really exacerbated challenges they already had before the pandemic. Lynette, back in 2020, Child Care Aware released a report called Picking Up the Pieces. It was right at the start of the pandemic. What big findings came from that report, and what action have you seen come out of it? Yeah. So picking up the pieces was a report um, that we released um, a couple of years ago, to your point. And um, that report really revealed, I think, the um, necessity for us to focus on child care. We saw, again, statistics that demonstrated a significant decrease in the availability and affordability of care that we were pushing up against sort of beyond crisis moment in that if we didn't do something quickly, we were going to really face a challenge for families who were not going to be able to access care. We saw the trending of decrease in child care spaces available, both family child care and center-based care. We most recently re released a, another report last month called Demanding Change. Um, and the Demanding Change report revealed the almost 10%, 9% decrease in child care providers, the ongoing price of care challenge. So here's where um, we're at this, again, nexus. It would take more than 10% of household income for a married family to cover the price of child care for one child. Wow. For a single parent, the price of child care is 35% of that single parent's household income. 
35%. That's before rent or a mortgage or any car payment? It's often, to your point, Tracy, often more expensive than rent, mortgage, food, transportation, utilities. Like this is the most, the most significant bulk of a, um, uh, a family income. And the Department of Health and Human Services actually recommends that the price of childcare not exceed 7%. So for families all over the country, that is a real challenge. And for the past two years, the price of childcare has exceeded the annual um, inflation rate. So in 2020, this price exceeded annual inflation by nearly 4%. So as we look across um, our, our country and we think about the implications and impacts of um, the things that we pay for, childcare for, for um, parents is at the very top. And that is why this is so painful. Yeah, it's a significant nut of, of your monthly expenses, basically. So can you talk a little bit about uh, before and after school care? You know, when we're talking about child care, there are definitely kids under five that need a, need care all day. But then once you hit school age, um, you know, kid, parents don't work from 8.30 to 3. They work 9 to 5 or 8 to 6 or whatever. I know in our community where I live, out in the suburbs of Chicago, it's a hot commodity to land after, uh, before or after school care um, at the schools or through the Y and whatnot. They fill up really fast. What what can families do? I mean, we're talking about we're saying mind boggling statistics and stuff. But at the end of the day, what can families do to create actionable change other than to just pound their fists on the table and say enough's enough? Like this is this sucks. <laughs> what can we what can we do? So, Tracy, two parts to that question. I think the first is you raised a really good point. As we're talking about child care, we're talking about from birth through school age, right? That um, when parents are cobbling care together, they may be cobbling care together for three children that spanned that span infancy, toddlerhood, preschool, and school age, right? And so, um, and for one child, they travel through that um, that continuum. And so it's super important for us to think about both the early learning and the child development lens through a from birth through school age continuum. And as we think about programming and partnerships, we need to make sure that we are paying attention to the fact that parents work a full day, and that they need care, nurturing care, continuity of care, which is important for child development, um, consistency of care, routine of care from birth through school age. And the inaffordability bridges from birth through five and school age. The cobbling together bridges from birth through, you know, from birth through five and school age. So finding that um, magic of drop off and pick up and um, paying the price of care really is across that span. And we need to do better in thinking about that from birth through school age um, care. So is that at the local level or local, state and federal? So when we're thinking about child care, we really do need to be thinking about from birth through school age. So when we're thinking about solutions, we need to be thinking about whole child, whole family, whole community. And our solutions cannot be in silos. Families don't operate that way. Uh, when you see cobbling together, and I'm sure many, many of your parents that are listening, you know, have been through this. I certainly have been the, through this when I've had a school age and um, a, a three-year-old, right? And so, and you're trying to figure out that in their hours aren't the same and, you know, how's transportation going to look and 
all of those things are, are super painful. And then you add on to the fact that infant care can cost you $16,000 a year. Um, that's more than co- in-state college tuition. So there's this exacerbation and challenge, notwithstanding the fact that there are a lot of childcare deserts out there, which means that there are a lot of places where probably many of your listeners are like, I can't find it. Like, I understand it's high cost, but I can't even find care for my child. Um, I might be traveling 20 minutes in the opposite direction of my work in order to um, actually find care that I think is um, is is going to support my child. So it, it, it does need to be, Tracy, a local, state, and, and federal solution. And the most important part of the solution is investment. For way too long, we have thought about care and development for young children as a individual issue. The fact of the matter is, is that parents who work are contributing to our communities in order for them to thrive. We need to start thinking about early care and education as a public good, which means investment. And that will demonstrate women returning to the workforce, families being present in their work instead of worrying about the care of their children, and children being able to thrive so that they can actually contribute as a future workforce member. I'm so glad you brought up investment because a year ago, President Biden signed into law the American Rescue Plan Act, which included about $39 billion in emergency funding to stabilize states' existing childcare sectors. But it was a short-term investment, temporary lifeline to an industry already in crisis. We've already talked about that. What should we be asking our representatives, our elected leaders to do now? Yeah, so... Thank goodness for the federal relief um, over the past two years. It, it will serve to support thousands of providers to be able to keep their doors open and sort of have a heartbeat, right, um, in this moment. So, so, so thank goodness that that actually happened. But short-term COVID relief is not long-term systems change, uh, which is what we really need. We need to think about early care and education and child care through school age as a comprehensive policy change. We need to change the system. And that sustainable solution is needs to have federal investment. Um, we, I think we're at a moment. We've, we've got to sort of put our arms around the fact that if we're going to ensure that our child care providers have a living wage, if we're going to ensure they actually have the health and other benefits that they, they deserve um, as early care and education um, providers and teachers, um, if we're going to be able to support parents and actually accessing and finding um, quality early care and education programs, and if we're going to ensure that this is equitable, we need to have federal investment, long-term sustainable federal investment, and change the way we think about um, the ability for families to access this kind of care. So, okay, asking what our legislation can do, what our elected leaders can do, but we're sitting here, we are moms, we know a lot of moms and dads and other people, but what can we do? Like, you know, what can, like, can I, do I need to call someone? Do I need to start a daycare? Wait, what can we do? <laughs> Please, no one wants me to take care of their children. <laughs> so there is, there is um, action that p- 
parents and grandparents and community members and business leaders can take in order to um, uh, make this kind of change. Uh, and I mentioned business leaders importantly, because this really is all of our business. And we've really heard a lot of increased advocacy and interest from the business community because they see that their employees are suffering um, and really challenged in working because of the lack of care. Um, billions and billions of dollars are lost every year because of childcare breakdowns. So what can we do uh, as community members, as parents? So my first recommendation is yes, let's raise our voice. There is someone you can call. Um, there's someone that you can write to, and that is your elected officials. And at our um, organization's website, childcareaware.org, we actually make it very simple to take action. Uh, you can go onto our website, put in your zip code. We'll share with you who your elected officials are and actually have templates for letters that you can write and literally take action, press the button and send. Right now is a critical moment for each and every one of us that cares about children to take action. And we are at a moment of influence. There is also for families to learn more. You can access this information on our website as well. Uh, we have a monthly e-newsletter that has webinars for parents, uh, has opportunities for parents to learn more, for interested community members to learn more, and to get involved in advocacy. Um, we have many advocacy groups, um, family groups, and um, opportunities for families to take action. So there is there is from letter writing to raising your voice to telling your story, um, which is incredibly important to do. Uh, these are all ways that you can make your voices uh, known. Well, we're seeing it when we read stories in, in the news of uh, uh, the labor shortage. There's so many people that I know that are, are not working because either their daycare was shuttered and off and on, and it became so burdensome to like have to take a sick day or whatever during the heat of the pandemic that they just, they just stopped. And I think that there's a real call to action right now to, for women to come, you know, Anne was mentioning the she session, but like, there's women that really, really want to work and really want to contribute. Contribute. Mm -hmm. I, I'm <laughs> I'm at a loss for words because I feel so. They want to contribute, but they can't. They're they're literally shackled because they love their family and they need to take care of their family, but they're they're unable to make the connection so that they can work. So it's not even about, in my opinion, this whole this whole subject is not even about whether I am covered, like I'm good. I got, I got myself, my family's covered. We're good. Everybody should care. Not just the people that are struggling. It should be everyone that cares because you're, you're still a community member. You're still a business owner or you still have coworkers and you're doing extra load because there's not enough people at your job where you're working. So it, it, it impacts everyone, right? It impacts everyone. I, I, I think it's a little overwhelming um, for us to really think about the numbers associated with how many millions of women have been forced to drop out of the workforce? So Deloitte and McKinsey put out a report. More than 2 million women have been forced to drop out of the workforce during the pandemic. And one out of four corporate women are downsizing their careers or leaving altogether, which is, which is challenging on so many fronts, right? Um, it, this is not only an issue of equity and um, ensuring that there are opportunities for each and every one of us. 
but it's also um, we're losing talent. Yeah, <laughs> we're losing talent, um, and that is really, really challenging. Three out of five um, women plan to leave in you know less than two years from now. That's because, sad. And they're citing again that work life balance. To your point, tracing, we're still in a space where um, women still are the majority caretaker. Though I know there are many, many dads out there who are doing um, great work in supporting and supporting families, but we're still seeing a disproportionate number of women that are taking on that role. And that is um, really concerning. Um, and we've got to, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. So Lynette, as I mentioned earlier, the families that require childcare and early education may not have the income to support higher wages for childcare workers. And this reminds me, Tracy, of an episode we did on the documentary, No Small Matter, which yeah. was about childcare. Um, it was produced by our friend Greg. So how do we fix the problem about wages? How do we make it okay for people to choose this as a career, make it valuable to them because they are so valuable to us? Or if you raise their wages, isn't it going to cost more for a family? So if if they earn more, then the price gets transferred over to the family. So it's kind of a double-edged sword, correct? I think the meta message here is that um, the price of child care is being born and, and the burden of that care is being, it, the brunt of that is on parents and on providers. Like they are the ones, the early care and education workforce provider who makes 12 bucks an hour and the parent who doesn't have, you know, 35% of their income to spend on childcare every month um, is bearing the brunt of the cost of quality care. We need to flip that script. We need to, again, change how we're thinking about early care and education. That education does not start at K through 12. We're not asking the question right now about the, the price of um public education for a parent to bear, right? This is should be a public good. Care and education, care begins from birth. Education begins from birth. And so when families need to access that early care and education, they should not be bearing the brunt of that cost and nor should the early care and education providers. So who fills that gap? That is where we think about how do we envision and re-envision the child care system and early care and education system so that we see a sustainable federal investment and the honoring and respect of all that happens in the early years so that we're actually investing in that moment in time. That's very succinct. That's <laughs> that's exactly it. The call to action. So this topic is really immense and, and we could go on and on and, and sit over coffee forever and talk about it. And we might not have all the answers right now, but we need to continue talking about it. Do you have any last takeaways for the audience? You know, we've, we hit on the wages. We hit on that it's everyone's problem to solve or issue. Uh, do you have any other last takeaways that you would want to kind of impart to everybody? One of the questions that we're also often asked is, um, what does, not only what does quality care look like, but how do I find it? And who are my local and community partners to help me to think about the early care and education and child care equation? I want to raise up these organizations, these nonprofit organizations who are child care resource and referral agencies who do what we do at the national level, at the local and state level. And you can find your local and state child care resource and referral agency on our site, childcareaware.org. 
put your location in there and your local and state um, organization will come up. And those are individuals who will help you find licensed quality early care and education providers, often do advocacy in their own communities and their states, provide information about what the differences are between early care and education settings and what you as a parent should be asking about when you're doing that all-important search, um, which is so important for each and every family, um, is how do I find my early care and education provider for my child that's uniquely and fundamentally supporting the growth and development of my child and supporting my family? Awesome. That is childcareaware.org, correct? Yes, that's exactly right. Thank you so much, Dr. Lynette Fraga, Executive Director of Child Care Aware, for your expertise and your passion in this area. Yes, keep fighting. Thank you so much for having me. So apparently, child care affects more than families. It affects the economy and our future workforce, and maybe an early investment will lead to greater dividends. You know, Anne... I know one thing that hasn't gone up in price and it doesn't even cost a thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Telling your friends and family about our little podcast and asking them to share <laughs> their epi- these episodes with their friends. I mean, the episodes are free um, and they're filled with priceless information. So I think that would be really valuable. <laughs> Is that a stretch? When I was little and I heard the word priceless, I thought it meant it was worth nothing. <laughs> but I'm going <laughs> to... But now I know. I Now I know it is worth something. We are worth something. Yes. So we would love for you to rate us or leave a review on iTunes or suggest things. You know, tell us what you want to hear about. Check us out on our Facebook page or Instagram and share our posts if you like them. That would be awesome. Uh, remember, you can reach us via email at allapparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast edited with help from our very own Ben Anderson. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Apparently.